0: If you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Focus for the message this morning will be on Jesus and Barabbas. And my text is chapter 27 of Matthew, verses 15 through 21. Matthew 27, verses 15 through 21. Before we look at these verses, would you pray with us, please? <clears throat> Our Father, this is the inerrant word of God that we have before us. And we have resident within us all who know Jesus as Savior, God the Holy Spirit. And we pray in these moments that he might take the things of the word of God and give illumination to our hearts and minds and souls. And beyond that, enable us to live in light of what we see. Thank you for your precious word. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Have you ever wanted to know more about some of the people that we meet on the pages of sacred scripture? I know you read your Bibles and you come across a lot of names. Ever wonder about them? Now, I'm not talking about uh, Moses or David or Peter or Paul, but I'm thinking about some of those we might refer to as the lesser lights Those not so well-known. You ever wonder about some of them? What about a man like Joseph of Arimathea? He was a man of some means. The Bible calls him a disciple of Jesus. We are told further that he was a righteous man waiting on the kingdom of God. But interestingly enough, John writes of him as being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly For fear of the Jews. What does that mean? I think we all have some ideas. And yet, sometimes the ideas that we might have about that do not square with the kind of man that he must have been because he went before Pilate to ask the body of Jesus so that he might bury the body of Jesus. So how does a man who was afraid, uh, who had a secret fear of uh, of the Jews, go before Pilate to ask the body of Jesus? I wonder what his life was like before he went to see Pilate. And I wonder what his life was like after he buried the body of Jesus. Another, what about the rich young ruler? This man came to Jesus and asked what good thing he might do to inherit eternal life. But when Jesus answered his question, the Bible says that he went away sorrowful whatever happened to him tradition tells us that later on he came to faith in Christ but that's only tradition and that's not dependable we have no certain word about what happened to the rich young ruler and what about Barabbas the man in our text this morning apparently many people have had some interest in this man because there are a number of novels written about him Now, I don't think we would mistake any of these novels for great works of literature, but they do reflect an interest in this man. And we, too, are interested in him because of the place that he occupies in Scripture. The Concordance has his name mentioned 11 times in the Scriptures, and there are 38 Bible verses which refer to him. And yet, Barabbas did no work, has no recorded words. He is known only so far as his life touches the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even so, I believe he is of great significance, at least in one respect. Now, listen carefully about what I'm, to what I'm about to say. He is the only man in the Bible. Who could say, listen to me now, in a physical, special, and peculiar sense alone, Jesus died for me. Now I know just as sure as I'm standing here, somebody's going to say when we leave, Pastor, don't you know Jesus died for all of us? I do know that. Yes, I do. But have any of you ever seen three crosses on a hill and the middle one had your name on it? And here's Jesus. And Jesus ultimately takes your place on that middle cross. And so that's why I say in a special, physical, peculiar sense, Barabbas could say, Jesus died for me. We'd like to know more about this man. But in the time that we have, I do want to focus our attention on him just a bit and on what we know about him and the illustration that he is... With respect to Christ. Matthew 27, verse 15, we are confronted with an ancient custom to begin with. Verse 15, Matthew 27. Now, at the feast of the governor was a custom to release for the multitude any one prisoner whom they wanted. Now, history doesn't tell us precisely when or where this custom had its inception. But really and truly, I don't think it's hard to see how something like this would come about. Uh, One country would conquer another country. And in order to curry favor with the conquered country, uh, the conquerors would release, perhaps on a holiday or a new year, they would release political prisoners, one or more. The fact of the matter is, this is not all that uncommon today. There are countries that uh, take over another in the world in which we live. And then they will do the same thing that is here. They will release political prisoners hoping to curry favor with those who have been conquered. It's an ancient custom. Usually, in Israel, this was something that was carried out At the time of the Passover, if you'll keep your place here in Matthew and turn over with me to John's Gospel for just a moment. John 18, verses 39 and 40. John chapter 18. Two verses, 39 and 40 of chapter 18. But you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the King of the Jews? They cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And then John adds, Barabbas was a robber. Certainly fitting to release a political prisoner, someone like that, at this time in the life of the nation Israel, because the Passover celebrated their freedom from bondage. But the crowd demanded another, Barabbas. And he was in fact a murderer. And this demand by the crowd left Pilate in a rather difficult position. He had to choose between his conscience, for he knew Jesus was innocent of the charges made against him. But he had to choose between his conscience and between that and political expediency. Well, Pilate was a politician. And his political instincts, if you would call them that, overrode his conscience. And he did the thing that was politically expedient. He released Barabbas. So it was an ancient custom. But I want to look for a few minutes at this man Barabbas. We'll talk about his name. We'll talk about his description, and we'll talk about his popularity. Let me go ahead and read verses 16 through 21, and then we'll go back a little bit and work our way through those verses again. Matthew chapter 27, verse 16. And they were holding at the time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him up. And while he, that is, Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas. And put Jesus to death. Notice the religious leaders did that persuade. Verse 21. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? Another indication that his conscience knew what was right. What evil has he done? But they kept shouting, and all the more saying, Let him be crucified! And Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Just in reading through this, I I cannot help but think when I, I read this time and time again. How can a people do that? His blood be upon us and upon our children. That's what they said. Verse 26. Then he released. Pilate did. Pilate released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Barabbas is an interesting figure. Several things about him that we want to know. The first is his name, Barabbas. Let's dissect that just a little bit if we can, please. Bar is the Aramaic word for son. Abba is the word for father, son of the father, literally is what Barabbas means. Now, that's not very imaginative. But it was a fairly common name among the rabbis. You circulate among the rabbis in that day, and you would find Barabbas to be a very common name. That raises to me some interesting questions. Did this man Barabbas possibly grow up in the traditions of the priestly aristocracy? Had he grown up in the traditions of the law? If I could put this into vernacular, the question about Barabbas was, was he a preacher's kid? Name possibly indicates that. Barabbas does mean son of the father, and it was a common name among the rabbis. We can't be dogmatic about it, however. Um, more about his name in just a moment or two. More about his description. Notice the second thing about Barabbas in Matthew 27, 16, he is referred to as a notorious prisoner. That word, that adjective that occurs there, notorious, only occurs twice in the New Testament. The other time it's used in a good sense. This time we have to conclude because of the context that it was used in a bad sense. Notorious or infamous would suit the description best. He is widely known, and Mark's gospel refers to him as one who led the insurrection. Jerusalem was filled with seething at this particular time because of the Roman bondage. Discontent was rampant. And apparently Barabbas was one of those who led revolution, insurrection, guilty of crimes against Rome. And quite obviously, these crimes were widely known. John, in his gospel, we've already seen, calls him a robber. Mark speaks of the insurrection. Peter calls him a murderer. He was notorious. His name, his description, and then his popularity. Perhaps the most striking thing about Barabbas is his popularity. Israel preferred him over Jesus. Now, at first, that might seem difficult for us to understand, but maybe not so much. Think about it for a moment or two. He must have been a daring sort of fellow, something at least of an adventurer, the way he was described, leading a, uh, an insurrection, and all of that would accompany that. And then if you would think for just a moment about the propensity of our day. We glamorize those who are outside the law many times. I'm sure there's not anyone in this room who hasn't heard stories, told stories, watched movies about Robin Hood. We tend to glamorize people just like they were doing in those days. He was glamorized because of what he had done. Look at verse 17 once again.. <clears throat> When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, there is something in my study. I want to mention it to you here. Um, A.T. Robertson, uh, one of the world-renowned Greek scholars, loved the Lord Jesus Christ, loved the Word of God, but he was a tremendous Greek scholar. And he points out that in some of the ancient manuscripts of the New Testament, the name Jesus was added to the name Barabbas. And that draws the question of verse 17 more sharply, if I can read it that way. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom ye that I release unto you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? Interesting question. And it's something that scholars will debate, not something that we can answer here. But I like the question raised, who do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Christ? Verse 18 adds, for he Pilate knew that for envy they had delivered him. Pilate knew Jesus was not guilty of the charges made against him. He also knew that the scribes and Pharisees were envious. Envy is that feeling that is aroused when we see somebody else have something that we don't want them to have. And the scribes and the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to have any of the popularity that he was accruing. Envy arose. And they were angry because Jesus attracted a following. And every minute... Pilate delayed. Every minute he hesitated, he became more and more entangled in this procedure. Men, there are times that we need to listen to our wives. Look at verse 19, would you? While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, her name was Claudia Procla, his wife sent him a note saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. As I said, men, there are times we need to listen to our wives. I know what you're thinking. Is there a time when I don't have to? Well, that's for another day. She sent her husband word. She loved him. And she sent him word. Don't have anything to do with this man. Leave him alone. And that was good, sound advice. That's what he should have done. Think about Pilate. He, he was a man who must have been terrifically conflicted. Uh, Pilate had a, his own conscience. And his own conscience, we can see in the text, his own conscience let him know this man was not guilty. Jesus was not guilty of anything he'd been charged with. That's first. Second, he had a love for justice, he was a Roman. And they are known for their love of justice. They held it dear. And then the advice and warning of his wife. That in and of itself, I believe, was providential. But, and there's that word, but. We read the sad account. Verse 21 again. The governor answered and said to them, Which do you want me to release to you? And he, they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They said, Let him be crucified. He said, What evil hath he done? But they kept shouting all the more, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I'm not innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, Behold, said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. In verse 26, then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Barabbas went free. Jesus, who is called Christ, was crucified and died for our sins that brings me to the third point that I want to stress and that is the illustration that we have here this is I think an important thing for us to take note and I think it's relatively easy for anyone to see this illustrates Christ's dying for our sins and I want to point out some ways that that takes place one of the great failures in modern preaching is the failure to apply the truth of the text to everyday life. It's easy to read the text and go our merry way and make no application of it. Charles Swindoll has a saying he uses fairly frequently. He says, in our day, we have a lot of longhorn sermons. And then he says, you know what a longhorn sermon is? It's a sermon that has a point here, a point here, and a whole lot of bull in between. I think he's right in genuine real honest Bible study there are three basic fundamental steps and they have to be taken if it's going to be called Bible study to observe to uh, interpret and to apply to observe in that we talk about or we answer the question what does the text say observation looking at the text and we say what does the text say not what do I want it to say Not what does somebody else say. It says, what does the text itself say? To interpret, we answer the question, what does the text mean? What does it mean? And then to apply answers the question, what does the text mean to me? There's something in the story of Barabbas that we need to apply and that we need to make personal. The incident illustrates for us the fact That Christ died for our sins the physical his death for Barabbas the physical illustrates the spiritual how well think about with me for just a couple of moments Barabbas condition as far as Barabbas was concerned his condition was absolutely hopeless he was a murderer he was guilty of high crimes against Rome he had been sentenced to die by crucifixion He could see his cross. Barabbas knew what was in store for him. He was guilty. He stood condemned. And his plight, hear me well, think about his plight. His plight represents the condition of all men outside of Jesus Christ under a death sentence. My dear friend, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ this morning, you are under a death sentence. The Bible says that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are sinners. We are guilty, and we are condemned outside of Christ. Second, would you notice someone died in Barabbas' place? Again, I say the middle cross was to have belonged to him, and Jesus died there. And just as Jesus died, Bore Barabbas penalty, so he has borne our penalty. He is our substitute. First Peter two says, who his own who in his own body bore our sins on the tree. He bore our sins on Calvary. Peter also said, For Christ also hath suffered. Once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god he bore our sins he took our penalty somebody died for me somebody died for you third would you notice verse 26 says barabbas was released the roman government no longer had a case against barabbas As far as the Roman government was concerned, he was righteous. Likewise, the divine law, God's law, has no case against those who are in Christ. They have been forgiven. Paul said, for he hath made him to be sin for us. He made him to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I think Barabbas is a wonderful illustration. He was guilty. He was condemned to die. But Jesus died in his place and Barabbas went free. I want to close with this thought. Did you notice the choice that the crowd made as we read through the text twice? What was the choice that the crowd made? They chose Barabbas to be freed, Jesus to go to the cross. Tragic. But let's not be too hard in our judging of that generation. People are doing that very same thing today. In fact, that is the choice that every man makes until he, by the grace of God, comes to trust Jesus Christ as his personal savior. When a man or woman decides that my business comes before Christ. When a man or woman makes the decision pleasure comes before Christ. Whatever it is, whether it's pride, whatever, to choose that before Christ is making the very same decision that the folks in Barabbas' day made. We want Barabbas, but not Jesus. How is it with you today? How is it with you today? Before you, I've tried to place two men, Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas can never forgive you. Barabbas can never cleanse you. Barabbas can never enable you to be righteous Barabbas cannot help you with the burdens of daily life. Barabbas can't help you to enable you to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's Jesus. He's able to forgive you, to cleanse you, to give you eternal life, to give you all that you need in this life. And then when this life is done, he'll usher you into his glorious presence to live forever. Jesus can do that. Before you are two men, Jesus and Barabbas, I call on you to make a decision today. Today is the day of salvation for someone in this room. I don't know who. You know whether or not God's speaking to your heart. May God, by his wonderful grace, enable you to put your trust in and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to save you to the uttermost. Won't you trust him today? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the illustration that we have on the pages of the New Testament of those who refused Jesus, chose Barabbas, I pray that you would bring conviction to the hearts of men and women today who by their own volition are making the same kind of choice the folks made in Barabbas' day. Bring folks to choose Jesus and to put their faith and trust in him who died for them and who will redeem them. Who says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. We are invited to come to Jesus. Speak to the heart of that one today who's not yet made that decision. And may they put their faith and trust in you today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you have questions about faith, about coming to trust Christ, I'll meet you here at the front. As another part, if I can go back for just a moment, as another part of our traditional Memorial Day here at Wake Chapel, we always sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. It's number 542 in your hymnal. God bless you and give you a good afternoon. And may he continue to be the center and the circumference Of our life and of our attention. God bless you. Mark Acuff is our deacon of the day. Remember to thank God for those who are listed in our worship folder. They have preceded us into glory. Mark? To our guests, we hope you'll come again. You are indeed most welcome. We're delighted to have you here. Home folks, Don't let our guests get out without shaking hands with them and inviting them to come again. Tell them how good it was to have them here. And tell them if they'll come back, you'll take them to lunch. (laughs) Mark, would you pray for us, please?
1: Would you bow with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, day that you have seen fit for us to be together. How good it is to be in your house with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It encourages our heart. Thank you for this Memorial Day and for those names that were read, who preceded before us and the many, many others that have gone on with them. We are so thankful for the foundation that they have laid for Wake Chapel, for their faithfulness, for their example of godly lives. And Lord, I ask that we each one would take that mantle and that we would carry on with it and that we would be faithful for those who come behind us. What a blessing it has been to know them I ask that you bless their families and give them comfort and healing and know that this time is just temporary until we see them again. Thank you too, Lord, for a celebration we had for Seth's birthday today, and thank you for the godly influence that he is to our congregation and for the sacrifice that he makes for our youth and for all of us. We ask that you give him a good and a blessed day. Father, many in our congregation have been ill and are healing, and for that, we are most grateful. And we say, thank you, that is answered prayer, we know. But for many others, they still need your healing touch, and we pray for them. There are many who need your hand to touch them for physical needs, some for emotional, some for spiritual needs. And we don't know what they all are, but Father, you do. And you made us, you created us, you know us, and you've known us since before the beginning of time. I pray that each one of us here would be faithful to be your hands and your feet to minister to them. Thank you for our um, ministry of the day, the mission of the week. We pray for Chosen People Ministries and for Michael Zinn. Thank you for their faithfulness to spread your gospel to the Jewish community and also to all of us. And we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to be a partner with them. And may we be faithful to that for your glory. Father, we ask as we go forward this week that you go with us. Make us winsome so that we spread the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you died for us. We were Barabbas, but you took our place. Not only did you die for us, but you rose again, and through that we have eternal life. We're so thankful for it. Help it to overflow in our hearts and that we would tell others about it as well. Go with us. Bless our pastors and thank you for them and, their, um, and their, God, their ministry to us. But, Lord, we are so grateful that they are true to your word and they preach without compromise. They lead our worship without compromise. Thank you for that. Go with us this week. May all we do be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.